Well, good morning. You know, Ben omitted the fact that we're in 1 Peter, which is a book about being in elect exile and suffering well. What he omitted is, as an elder body, we tried to exile him to Canada, but he, uh, he found his way back through the border, <laughs> albeit not without being handcuffed at the border. So I am Aaron Scholl. I'm one of the elders. I get the opportunity to open God's word with you. Turn to 1 Peter 1. And while you're turning there, this Thursday I was out and I was running around our county mile. We live out in the middle of the country and you might be thinking, what are you doing out running? I'm not a runner, but on Thanksgiving morning, there is a 5K race at Faith Mission, the turkey trot, and being the glutton for punishment that I am, I thought, what would it look like to actually put some effort into having a good time on Thanksgiving morning? And when I say good time, I don't mean good time in the sense of having fun. If you've ever run in a dead sprint for any length of time, you know it is not fun. And as I was running around the county mile, I was listening to a song by Jeremy Camp, and that song has the refrain, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. And later on, he says, when I come to die, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. And maybe because I felt like I was on the brink of death, but I was thinking at the moment, give me Jesus. And what we're going to see this morning is Peter, to these exiles, ultimately coming to the conclusion that you can have all of this world, but give me Jesus so as you look at your Bible, and we're in 1 Peter 1, I just want to share with you, you know, 500 years ago, we did not have the Bible in the English language. And if you think about the cost that it took for us to hold what you hold in your hand, now if you're like me, on a Sunday morning, do I go with the ESV version? Should I bring my new King James Bible? Should I bring my note-taking Bible, my small Bible, my leather Bible, my Bible with my name on it? We have an abundance of the Word of God at our hand right now. But what we don't know, or what we may not know is, what was the cost to bring that text to our hands today? And I just want to go through this with you because I think it's incredibly important because the man who had translated the Bible from Hebrew and Greek into English, lived as an exile for 12 years. In fact, from the age of 30 to the age of 42, he, couldn't, he wasn't even welcome in his own country. He was exiled to Germany and the Netherlands and would be working on this text because if he would return home, he would be killed. So think about the cost that that would undertake for you. And he described his situation like this. He said, my pains, my poverty, my exile out of my natural country, and bitter absence from my friends, my hunger, my thirst, my cold, the great danger wherewith I am everywhere encompassed, and finally, innumerable other hard and sharp fightings which I endure. That was the life he was living that was the cost he was paying to translate this book that we hold every Sunday into the English language. Exiled from his country, living as a fugitive, a life of continued suffering and hardship, it begs the question, why did he do it? And also, how did he do it? Ultimately, he would complete the work, but it would come at the ultimate cost, which would be his life. He was 42 years old, he was never married, and he was never buried. You see, he was exiled, he was imprisoned, and ultimately he was strangled and burned to death. Was it worth it? 
One of his last letters he wrote, If when we are buffeted for well-doing, we suffer patiently and endure, that is acceptable to God for that, and we are called. For Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps who did no sin. Yes, it was worth it. And of course, this man was William Tyndale. And all of us this morning hold the precious word of God in the English language because he lived a life of true victory in the midst of a hostile world. And by God's grace this morning, may we do the same. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. Pray with me. Lord, our hearts this morning do cry out to you, and we ask that you would free us from the distractions of anything that would get in the way of the purposes that your Holy Spirit has for us this morning. God, may we say in the midst of the hardest of times, in the midst of any suffering that we're going through, give me Jesus. May you be so supreme, so treasured, so cherished, so exalted in our life that everything else would pale in comparison. Lord, we need you to do a work by the power of your Holy Spirit in our heart. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, apart from you, bringing that into our hearts, we would have no victory today. God, may my words be clear May the message be concise, and may it be life-changing for those who hear. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, 1 Peter 1, if you look at the text, will be between 13 and 21, which starts, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God." I titled the message, How to Live the Christian Life in Victory in the Midst of a Hostile World. There's four points this morning. Number one, set your hope on Christ alone. Number two, die to your old ignorant passions and futile ways. Number three, live a new life of holiness and fear as a blood-bought son or daughter. And number four, remember it's all about God, not about you. Four points this morning. When you walk out of here this morning, I hope that you would fully comprehend the precious ransom that Jesus Christ has paid for you and that you have been reborn, that you may die to your old ways, live a new life of holiness empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is the main point of this text. So let's start with verse 13. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's important that you look at the word therefore. Therefore references back to everything that's come before verse 13. Ben has preached on the therefore. What do we remember, or because of all of these things. Well, what are these things? Verse 3, you're born again. Also in verse 3, you have a living hope. Verse 4, you have an eternal inheritance. 
Verse 9, you have been saved from the wrath of God. And verses 10 through 12, all of this, by the grace of God, has been revealed to you, the believer. And so, and so Peter's saying, hey, because of all of these things, these precious truths, behave this way. Because of all of this, act this way. Do things this way. But he starts with a reminder to the reason you were to behave this way is because of the precious truth of who you are now in Christ. And he starts and says, prepare your minds for action. Literal translation says, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, we don't use that terminology today, right? I'm not like, gird up your loins, gird up the, you know, your mind. But it's, it's an image of someone saying, wake up. You know, if you've ever had somebody just kind of flailing emotionally or mentally, they're all over the place and you're trying to counsel them and at some point in time, you want to grab them, or maybe you do, you grab them by the collar and you're like, wake up, like settle down, listen. And that's what Peter's saying here is, be alert, be awakened to these truths. Prepare your mind for this. He says to be sober-minded. Sober-minded is the opposite of being under the influence of a substance. So when you're under the influence of a substance, you don't think clearly. You have distorted thinking. So he's saying be sober-minded. Think clearly about this. Be sharp. Have mental clarity, moral decisiveness. Have a clear command of your mind. So gather up your thoughts, gather up your loose thoughts, and think clearly about these things. What things? To set your hope fully on Christ. And the word set is important as well, right? It's a proactive word. We don't drift into godliness. If you allow your mind to wander, your mind is prone to wander, and it wanders away from your Savior. It doesn't wander into Jesus Christ. I have never had someone that I've met with say, you know, I just, it doesn't really matter what I put into my mind. It doesn't really matter what I'm watching on television, who I'm hanging out with. I just, somehow I find myself just thinking very godly things. It's incredible. I, I just don't understand. It's very much the opposite. Peter is saying, set your hope fully on Christ alone. Proactively, use intentionality, mental energy, and this word fully is incredibly important. I'm a financial advisor with Edward Jones. One of the principles of investing is diversification. You don't put all your eggs in one basket. You diversify. That's not what Peter's calling us to here. Peter is saying, put everything you have into the basket of Jesus Christ. There is no diversification. Jesus Christ is the only investment that you will get a return on. Everything else will splatter. Put everything fully into Christ alone. You know, I was thinking of a funny illustration of this. We were at First Baptist Church for 10 years, and about 11 years ago, Notre Dame made it to the national championship, and they played Alabama. And we had a couple in our small group at that time where the husband worked for Notre Dame, he had graduated from Notre Dame, he loved Notre Dame. And when we were in small group, he said, I, I'm, we're going to the game. And I thought, how much is that going to cost? I asked him, $2,200 a ticket. I thought to myself, Wow, that is a commitment unlike any I've ever seen. And that wasn't include lodge, that didn't include lodging, it didn't include flights. They were all in on Notre Dame going and playing Alabama, and it was down in Miami. Now, if you remember, the moment that Alabama's running back, Eddie Lacy, got the football, I knew all hope is lost. <laughs> 
<laughs> it did not take long to realize when Eddie Lacy ran over Manti Teo on the first series, you're like, yep, we're probably done. This is not good. The despair that this individual experienced because he had put his hope into the Notre Dame basket was not wise. And we can laugh at that, right? We can think, I would ne- that's so silly, I would never do that. But in your life, there is something where you have found yourself putting your hope in only to realize, sometimes too late, I put my hope in the wrong thing. I need to put my hope fully in Jesus Christ. Set your hope on Christ alone. So what does that look like practically? Well, hope is more than mental affirmation. Hope, hope is more than mental affirmation, right? Hope is an emotion. It's a feeling. Now, it certainly starts in your mind, but it lodges itself in your heart. It starts in the mind, but it lodges in the heart. It's a deep abiding trust in God that's unshakable and completely confident. It's a trust in his word completely. The inerrancy, the sufficiency of the scripture, it is putting everything into the word. It's a, it's a belief fully without doubting in the promises of God in your life. You see, it's not enough to mentally engage the gospel and then go living your life some other way. True comprehension of the gospel changes your life. So, So where have you set your hope? Have you set your hope in a relationship? You think, if I was only married or... Maybe the opposite, if I wasn't married, if I had a boyfriend, if I had a girlfriend, that that would really be filling in my life. What about your health? Maybe you set your hope in your health and you think, "I'm, I'm, I'm healthy, things are good. We know that God, in his sovereign plan, your health could change overnight. Money, I see this often. Money is the ultimate God replacement. The Bible says you can't serve God and serve money. Have you put your hope in your retirement plan, your investment plan, the money that you have in the bank? Have you set your hope on worldly riches? I'm going to go here. Yeah, I'm going to go. Donald Trump will be running for office next year. Have you set your hope on a political candidate? Maybe something else entirely. Right now, I've sat in that seat so many times, I know that the Holy Spirit brings something to your mind that you think, God, I have put my hope in this. And God is saying to you, put your hope fully in Jesus Christ. How do you live a life of victory? It starts with setting your hope fully on Christ. Second point. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And then later on in verse 18, it says, knowing, again, in your mind that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. So two things here, right? We're to die or not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, and we're to be reminded to know the ransom that we've had from the feudal ways of our forefathers. Now, what's important to note, and I'm going to make this distinction a lot this morning, is changed behavior comes from a changed heart. And a changed heart comes from changed thinking. 
So lest you believe that this is some type of moral imperative where I need to do better, apart from Jesus Christ, you will not do better. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying, because you're now a child of God, obey. Romans 12.2 puts it this way. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see the word conformed there in verse 14? Conformed means literally to pattern after, to be molded in likeness of. We are called as Christians to be molded in the image of Jesus Christ, not to be molded in the image of the world. And we're called to have renewed thinking, and that renewed thinking allows for transformation. You want to change your behavior, you have to change your mind. How do you change your mind? You renew your thoughts. How do you renew your thoughts? You get into the Holy Scripture. You beg the Holy Spirit to say, God, please reveal this to me. Now, it's also important to know Peter is writing to two different audiences here. He's writing to the Gentile converts that were steeped in licentious hedonism and old Jews, Jews that were following the Old Testament. So he has two audiences that he's thinking about here, and he's telling those Gentile converts, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, all of us in this room, at one time, before Jesus Christ got a hold of our hearts, were conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. I myself, until the age of 21, was conforming to passions of my former ignorance. See, I'm, I'm no different than Paul. All through high school, I was drinking, I was swearing, I was carousing, I was fighting, I was womanizing. I was doing all of these things that the world would say, there is hope in this. There is purpose in this. This is what you seek after. And I was seeking after all of it. Sports, women, grades. All of us in this room at one time were conforming to passions of our former ignorance. Now, some of us were Gentile hedonists, and we had to die to that. But others of us who grew up in the church we were comparatively Jews from Old Testament traditions. We thought because our parents were keeping the law that we were saved. Or we experienced a time where we thought, I, I, this faith needs to become my own. You see, the feudal ways that he's referring to here is the law keeping. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and from the age of six, you thought, hey, if I just behave properly, if I just do the right things, if I'm obedient, that I will have salvation. You thought by going to church that that was somehow saving, that because your parents were Christians that that was somehow savoring, saving. You thought about this as it relates to our kids, right? Knowing Bible stories does not get you into the kingdom of God. I remember when I first came to faith, I didn't even know who King David was. Now, that sounds crazy to some of you. Like, How in the world? I had no idea who King David was. I knew of Noah. I knew he made a big boat. And I knew he was spared. But I... Apart from that, I had no knowledge. I was completely ignorant. And Paul himself said in 1 Timothy 1, he received mercy because he acted ignorantly in unbelief. God had mercy on my life. He opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel I thought a good illustration of this is if you've ever done any studying, whether you're in college or you're studying for something, or you're just working on a project 
and you have a computer, and that computer, you find yourself, as you're working on something, opening a multitude of windows, right? You guys experience this? Like you're working on one particular thing. I found this when I was working on the sermon. You have one window open, then you start to think of something else, and you're like, yeah, I wonder about that. Maybe it's ESPN. You open an ESPN window. Now you have two windows. You're like, oh, I wonder what William Tyndale, I'm curious about him. So you open up Wikipedia or something else, and pretty soon you have about six or seven different windows open on your computer, and you, you realize, I'm distracted. I need to minimize. I need to X out of some of those windows. I need to remove some of those windows, right? It's like our life. We find ourselves, I'm no longer centered on Jesus Christ right now. I have all of these other things that are open, and I need to go in, and I need to go die, 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 die. I need to X out of those windows, cut those windows off, die to those things so that I can serve with greater purpose Jesus Christ. Some of us in this room, it's not enough just to X out of those other windows because they keep popping up. We need to take our finger and push restart. We got to hold it down. We need, to re, we need a complete reboot like, I am so off track right now. I have so many different windows open right now. It's not enough for me just to click these windows. I need to press restart on my computer, and I need to reboot. That might be somebody this morning. And somebody else, like myself, you might need to take your computer and literally smash it on the floor. You, you might have to get radical. You may have so many windows open right now, so many things leading you away from Jesus Christ that you need to take, physically take the computer and slam it against the floor and get a new operating system. Some of you in here right now need a completely new operating system. You need to be transformed in Jesus Christ. It's not going to be enough to just behavior modify and click out of a few things and think that you're living your best life now and now you're on the right track. You need a complete change in processing. You need Jesus Christ. Some of us, as I think about my kids and the futile ways, growing up in the church, And just being nice and being a good person has no saving power in the kingdom of God. You can't behave your way into salvation. We need to either die to our former passions of ignorance or be reminded that we should no longer live according to the futile ways of our family. But as though that was not enough, we're not called just to put off, to die to those things. The text continues, and it does say, back to 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Two uses of the word conduct there that stand out. We're to be holy in all of our conduct, and we're to conduct ourselves with fear. Holy in all of our conduct, conduct yourself with fear. I think inside the Christian church, the lack of emphasis on the holiness of God is incredibly destructive. You see, once you realize the holiness 
of God, you do nothing but fall flat on your face. You know, I've had conversations with people, I'm sure you have too, where it's like, you know, when I get to heaven and I talk to God, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You are absolutely not. You are falling flat on your face and you are begging for mercy. Just like Isaiah did, just like Moses did, just like anybody who encountered God, they fell flat on their face and they begged for mercy. And you will do the same. We need to be reminded of the holiness of God that he is completely set apart. He is completely unlike us. Totally set apart, not polluted by anything, completely righteous, not conforming to any mold. He is holy, and we are called to be holy. Revelation 5 Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three times. We could have said anything. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We are to conform to the holiness of our Savior. Holy in all of our conduct. Notice it doesn't say some of your conduct. Notice it doesn't say your Sunday morning conduct. When you're at work, conduct yourself with holiness. Or hey, when, you, when you're at home, be really holy. This is saying in all of your conduct, you are to be holy. Permeates through everything. Every area of your life. There is nothing or few things are more damaging to the Christian faith than hypocrisy. You live a holy life on Sunday morning and then you go out into the world and you're conformed to the image of the world. Nothing has greater power in destroying the Christian faith than hypocrisy. We are called to live all the time. All of our conduct is to be holy, just like our Savior was holy. I thought about that in the terms of the Hamas right now. Right? We, we look at that and we think, how could a God require and demand the murder and rape of innocent people. Who would serve a God like that? You get, our minds get boggled. We think, how could you possibly believe, and not only believe, but believe to the level where you actually think you're doing good? We serve a Savior who suffered greatly for us and calls us to suffer greatly for him. You see, if you're a Christian, the family business, I hate to tell you, but it's suffering. That is the family business. We are called to suffer as he suffered. But we have victory because Jesus Christ has overcome that. See, it's such a stark contrast between what our Lord and Savior Jesus is calling us to and what other gods are calling them to. He's calling us to be holy in all of our conduct. You know, I was convicted, and I've said this before, but I will never, I should not say that. I'm going to have to have some renewing of the mind and transforming for me to ever get a Christian fish on the back of my vehicle. I can be a pretty bad testimony out there on the roads. And I don't want people assessing the Christian faith based on my maneuvering of my vehicle. Now that's funny, but you have a Christian fish on your heart when you go into the school that you go into. When you go into your home, when you go into your workplace, when you go into the grocery store, you, as a blood-bought son and daughter, have the Christian fish on your heart. How are you representing the kingdom of God? You know, we are called to put off and to put on. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, I think, summarizes this incredible. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through evil desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
You see, it's important that we distinguish between we possess the holiness and righteousness that's been imputed upon us by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are completely justified. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified this morning and you stand to inherit an eternal kingdom with Jesus. That's not what Peter is referring to here. Peter's referring to conduct. We are to conduct ourselves in holiness. So what are those things that you need to put off? Galatians 5, Paul writes this, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. It's funny because I read that list and I think you're probably like me, you're like, sorcery? I'm not doing that. Rivalries, dissensions, I, uh, I'm not involved in that stuff. I'm, I'm pretty good. See, we have much more respectable sins. We have impatience, unrighteous anger, a bad attitude, the silent treatment, bitterness, pride, partiality, judgmentalism, apathy, and slothfulness. We think, I'm not, yeah, that, that list didn't really encompass me. Sor- I mean, idolatry, sorcery, these are, I mean, these are a big deal. I just have a bad attitude once in a while. You know, you don't understand the holiness of God. You don't comprehend just how holy God is. That one of these things is enough to condemn you to a Christless eternity. That you are completely bankrupt. You have no resume. I have no resume. Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have. So what does the new look like? Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're called to live a holy life free from sin. You know, I don't have action points this morning, but just ask the question of the person who is closest to you on your drive home. Am I a loving and joyful person? Am I a loving and joyful person? I think it's also important to note one of the big themes of 1 Peter is this relationship between holiness and hardship. So he's, he's writing this letter to strengthen the believers who are under Roman persecution. And he's, he's clear that the holy will suffer And the holy will be made more holy by sharing in Christ's sufferings. You see, holiness is not only necessary for enduring hardship. Hardship is also a way the Spirit makes us more holy. There's a relationship this morning between your holiness and your hardship. And Peter is imploring these believers to say, Do you want to give a faithful testimony to a hostile world? Live a holy life. Suffer well, brother, sister. Back to verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, essentially he's saying, hey, if you call yourself a Christian, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. So, you would think as a result of this, well, how, perfect love casts out fear. Why, why would I live a life of fear? He's not referencing fear of the persecutors. You see, he, he goes on and says about the precious blood of Christ. He's saying, hey, be fearful that you would ever minimize the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Be very afraid that you would treat this casually that you would minimize this, that it came at such a tremendous cost, be afraid that you would ever be dismissive of that, that you would treat that sacrifice casually and minimize it. You should have a holy reverence for the Lord. So conduct yourself with fear. I thought about this as it related to the kidnappings of those that have been taken and now are held hostage by the Hamas 
in the Gaza Strip. And imagine, really imagine this. Imagine if your son or daughter or wife or husband had been kidnapped by the Hamas and taken away from you. And you get notice back from them that says, hey, if you would give me a million dollars, I will release your son. And you know in your current financial condition, I am physically unable to come up with a million dollars. But I am going to try and do everything that I can. And you sold your house. You sold all of your cars. You sold all of your belongings. You emptied every single bank account that you had. And you still had no ability to pay the ransom. You, you liquidated everything in desperation. Everything you had. And still had no ability to pay. And you felt completely and utterly hopeless. Put yourself in that position. That this person is being held captive. And you need to come up with the ransom. And you, you cannot do it. And, and, and then imagine somebody from this church hears of this. And they pay the ransom for you. They come up with a million dollars and they, they pay that ransom for you and you are reunited with your son or your daughter or your wife. How would that change your life? How would that change your relationship with that person? If that person asked you, do you think you might be able to come and rake my leaves? pretty certain that you would think, I will do anything to serve you the rest of my life. I owe you so much. And that's, that's not even a great illustration, because it doesn't even get to the cost that Jesus Christ, who was completely perfect, did for us, the believer, that he paid the ultimate cost and Peter is trying to say, don't take that lightly. He willingly went to the cross. He paid the price with his precious blood and was without blemish. We're called to live a new life of holiness and fear because we are a blood-bought son and daughter. We have been ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. If that doesn't impact you, you beg the Holy Spirit to say, open my eyes and reveal this to me. Last point, and I need to move quickly. Remember, it's all about God, not about you. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This was not God looking over the plight of humanity and thinking, oh boy, what do I need to do now? This was ordained before time began. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But in the last times, this has been revealed to us. You see, we are living in the last times. You think that was 2,000 years ago. Peter goes on in his letter and says, a thousand years is like a day to God. We are living in the end times. And if this has been revealed to you, praise the Lord. You see, you are part of a grander story, whether you realize it or not. And that story is Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. This book, he says, everything written in this book is about me. All of the Old Testament prophets were writing of me. The law was about me. Everything contained inside the scriptures from beginning to the end was about Jesus Christ. Yes, you have been, this has been revealed to you in the last times. It is for your sake. 
but it is so that your hope and faith are in God. The story is about God. Now, sometimes we think the story is about us, but the story is not about us. The story is about Jesus Christ. We are to live a God-centered life, acknowledging the supremacy of Christ in all things, knowing that it's all about him and not about us. Your salvation was about him. Your life, about him. The purpose that you have when you open your eyes in the morning is about him. What you do throughout your day is about Jesus Christ. How you conduct yourself in holiness, the sins that you battle, they will be impossible apart from Jesus Christ. The story is all about Christ. We have been revealed this. It has been made manifest to us. But this story was written before time began. We participate in the story. There was a movie in my hometown called The Road to Perdition. I remember going to it because they had asked for volunteers to be an extra in a movie. I don't know if you guys have ever been an extra. It's not that fun. But I went to this particular thing, and I thought, I'm in high school. I'm like, I'm going to be an extra in this movie. And it was a movie starring Tom Hanks. And you probably haven't seen it because it's a rated R movie based on the mafia. And at the time, I was living in ignorant passions. So I was really all about this movie. So I went, became an extra in the movie. And how silly would I have been to get my friends and my family and anybody else that I was and say, hey, come, come and watch this movie um, this movie's all about me. Did you just see me? I think that was me. I don't know. He had brown hair. <laughs> How foolish would you think I was to have this grand party when I was barely seen in this movie? The movie was not about me. Right? This book is not about you. This book is about Jesus Christ from start to end and everywhere in between. You want to live a life of victory? Be reminded that it's not about you. It's all about God. The Christian life, how do you live it? In victory. And I chose in victory. And I thought, if you've ever watched a football game, at the end of a football game, if you have a significant lead on your opponent, you get into something that's called the victory formation. And, and you want to end up in the victory formation. And what the victory formation is, is the quarterback going underneath the center, taking the snap, and taking a knee. And I thought, how fitting is that for the Christian life. If you want true victory in the midst of a hostile world, take a knee. Bend your knee to Jesus Christ. You want to live victoriously? You set your hope on Christ alone? You die to your old life of ignorant passions and futile ways? You live a new life of holiness and fear as a blood-bought son or daughter, and you remember that it's all about God, and it's not about you. A well-ordered mind leads to a well-ordered heart, which leads to well-ordered hands. You want to change what you do? You want to live in holiness? Be reminded of what Christ has done for you. Die to your old life. Live a new life. And you can only do it by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. Lord, may the preciousness of the blood of Jesus amaze us. May the ransom that you paid for us and to satisfy the payment to a holy Father amaze us. And God, may we not just 
affirm that with our mind, but may that transform our heart. And Lord, as that transforms our heart, may we, as blood-bought sons and daughters, live this life in victory. May we seek to take territory for your kingdom on earth. And God, I pray that you would strengthen the faith of those this morning who cry out in their heart and say, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Help me to believe these truths. I'm in the midst of something that is just so difficult. That I am suffering, Lord. Help me to endure that suffering. Help me to live a holy life in the midst of that suffering. God, strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. Well, I, I don't have any action steps for you. I mentioned a question that I think is important to ask. If you have been redeemed and reborn, you should be changed. Ask those closest to you just one question. Do you see evidences of the Spirit of God in my life? And if this morning you've never taken a knee to Jesus Christ, I would love to have a conversation with you. There's no better, more ultimate decision that you could make in your life than surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. So Ben ends the service with a reminder that we are the light of the world, we're not to be hidden, we're to be set apart, and that our works should give glory to God our Father. Have a great Sunday.